Hi, this is Doug Lip, author of Disney U, How Disney University Develops the World's Most Engaged, Loyal, and Customer-Centric Employees, and I want to welcome you to Randy Crane's Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more, right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 49 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we conclude our two-part interview with Doug Lipp. In part one, Doug shared about his history interning with Disneyland in the Magic Kingdom Club, returning after graduate school, helping with the opening of Tokyo Disneyland, his two primary mentors, Van France and Jim Cora, leading Disney University at the Walt Disney Studios, and more. In this episode, Doug talks about his presentation at the Walt Disney Family Museum about Disney University, Van France, among other things, he's described as a combination of Jiminy Cricket, Mary Poppins, and an angry Donald Duck. If that's not enough to listen for, I don't know what is. How he ventured out of the Walt Disney Company and into being a speaker, consultant, and author. How he challenges both large corporations and small business owners to, quote, walk the park. Why leaders often don't want to do that. His book, Disney U why he decided to write it, and why there was tremendous pressure as he did so. Why the book is valuable to you, even if you aren't a leader, or at least you don't think of yourself as one. A couple of the most important things he learned from Jim Cora and Van France. What he loved most about his time working for Disney. If he could have any job working for the Walt Disney Company, what it would be and why. Here's a hint. It involves Disney University. A question he never gets asked that he wishes people would ask him. How the values of Disney University can apply even to your family. What inspires him? His advice to you for following your own dreams. And of course, shameless plug time. Now after the interview, I have some very exciting news to share about my newest book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend. And then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. And this is Amy Moyer. And we are the hosts of Take Him With You. The weekly podcast where we discuss life at the geeky Moyer's home. And then we talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us. Very, very positive podcast. And we think you really enjoy it. And I love Star Trek and heavy metal music. And I like Star Trek. And heavy metal music. And I hate heavy metal music. (laughs) (laughs) Want to hear more of our banter? You can by listening to our podcast. Where can they find it? You can find it at TakeHimWithYou.com or iTunes. That's right, iTunes. And now... This week's interview on Stories of the Magic. And in fact, I was going to bring that up about your 
presentation at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Uh, so since you had mentioned it here, let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit more if we can. What kind of was the core or some of the major takeaways from that presentation for the audience? I think they heard, um, well, Jim and I talked about working with and for Van France. And again, Van France had worked directly for Walt. Jim Cora had worked directly for Walt. And so the audience, through Jim, was able to connect with a person who had interacted with Walt and helped create the happiest place on earth. And, and my role was simply to talk about my small interaction at the Disney University as a cast member and then as the author of, of, of Disney U and my my interaction with Van France. And it was just such an honor to be able to present at the museum started by by Diane Disney Miller and, and Ron Miller to um, basically say, you know what, the artistic side of the company is one thing, but Walt Disney was equally creative in starting an employee development organization called the Disney University that to this day, almost 60 years later, is um, admired by corporations around the world. Mm-hmm. I know some about Van France, but I honestly don't know a lot aside from what we've talked about here. And then a few episodes ago, I interviewed Kyle Crocker, who started as a Disneyland Jungle Cruise skipper, right. but he worked in Disney University uh, for quite a while as well. And so we talked about him a little bit then. But I'm going to guess that there's probably at least one person listening who, besides what we've talked about, has no idea really anything about Van France. So can you tell me a little bit more about him and you know, kind of beyond what we've already talked about and maybe about Van France the person or kind of what uh, you know, what he brought to the Walt Disney Company uh, in a little bit more detail? Well, Van, um, again, I mentioned earlier, was hired by Walt to create an onboarding process, an orientation process to help cast members. At the time, they weren't even called cast members, but to help new hires understand what does it mean to be part of this this new venture called Disneyland. And so Van, in his own way, as a mid-40-year-old, was starting a whole new career He'd worked in factories during the World War II. He'd worked in um, a, a variety of industrial environments, but he also was a very creative, fun-loving guy, much like Walt. In fact, a lot of executives that I interviewed for for Disney, this this book that we were chatting about earlier, talked about Van as a combination of Jiminy Cricket, because you know Jiminy Cricket helped Pinocchio find the right way. Uh, a combination of Jiminy Cricket and Mary Poppins. And, of course, Mary Poppins helped her kids, her charges, do the right thing. But also, he was uh, an ardent supporter of Walt's values. And when when cast members would challenge the values of the company, Van was equally quick to turn into an angry Donald Duck. In fact, Dick Nunes, in his introduction to Van's book, Window on Main Street, basically says the exact same thing is that Van was a combination of Pinocchio, a Mary Poppins, and an angry Donald Duck. And <laughs> he was a very direct guy. In fact, there's a, a great quote that I include in, in my book, Disney U. And he, he says, I, this is Van's quote, I was convinced 
that managers and owners could come and go, but Walt's dream would last forever. And that's what it was all about. It wasn't about you as, a, as an employee of the company. It wasn't about a certain uh, period of time. It was Walt's dream will last forever. And that's what Van was all about. Wow. Yeah, that's such a vivid description <laughs> of him. <laughs> I love that, Doug. I really do. <laughs> uh, and it's a tribute that to him, I think, that he could invest himself so fully in someone else's dream that it became his as well. Well put, well put. Thank you. And since we've talked about your book a few times, I want to kind of head that direction a little bit. So you uh, you left the Walt Disney Company, 85? Yep. Okay. Uh, and then you, know, you did that to move into uh, kind of taking what you had done, I think, at MKC and applying that broader uh, and kind of independently as you have moved into working as a consultant and as a speaker and author and showing how the Disney customer service principles and values can apply in any company or organization, not just in Disney or even in an entertainment company. Uh, So what was it that led you to make that shift from what you were doing for Disney to taking the Disney principles to, you know, the broader marketplace? Well, I I realized after coming back from Japan um, that any organization, any multinational corporation like Disney really needs to focus on the cross-cultural component of being successful. And I actually brought a consultant into Disney University when I was at the studios a guy from Stanford University, a professor there who focused on and specialized in how multinational corporations can be even more effective in an international environment. And at the time, Disney was just considering going into France to open up Euro Disney, Disneyland Paris Resort, as it's now known. And long story short, Randy, this professor and I connected at such a, a visceral level, and I realized that I really wanted to focus on this concept of cross-cultural communication, intercultural communication with my background in Japan and Japanese language that he and I decided to kind of venture out on our own. And, and he left Stanford, I left Disney, and we joined forces and created a, uh, a think tank devoted to this concept of cross-cultural communication in multinational organizations. And so I left Disney Studios I proposed to Pam, my wife, and I said, I'm moving to Northern California to Palo Alto to start a small company. So we left the the wonderful warm nest of Disney Studios and jumped into the, the wild, rough seas of a startup organization, and uh, I never looked back. Uh, that is very brave. <laughs> <laughs> or crazy, one of the two. <laughs> I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> sure. So was it when you started this uh, startup that you wrote your, uh, I believe it was your first book about the success of Tokyo Disneyland? Yeah, and I wrote that in Japanese, and quite frankly, that was the, the first time that I'd gone back to the company. And at the time, the the vice president of communications in the, at Disney Studios was a man named Erwin Oaken, and he and I had a great relationship from when I was at the Disney Studios and he blessed my project. I said, I'm going to write nothing but positive things about TDL. 
And so uh, because of Irwin's blessing, I was able to interview a number of executives in the company, including, of course, Jim Cora, who was at the time still in the company. And so I wrote about some of the, the cultural challenges that we faced at TDL. And when the book came out, I'm very pleased to say that uh, Oriental Land Company and some of their human resources executives read the book and said that this is a must-read for all of our employees who are going to be uh, involved in the Tokyo Disney Sea uh, expansion in the in the ensuing years. And so I felt very pleased that, as an outsider now from Disney, I I was contributing to their um, their expansion. Yeah, that is a very high honor. Uh, it's well after the fact, but congratulations on that, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> and for all of you readers who can speak Japanese and read Japanese, it's a great read. <laughs> <laughs> so is it still only available in Japanese? Yes, it is. It is, okay. Then also from that being in this think tank and then going on uh, from there, you present uh, and do workshops and retreats and things like that for companies, sounds like all over the world. Yes, constantly, and it's it's a, a great joy and honor to to talk about the lessons that I learned from Van France and Jim Cora and a number of these executives because, quite frankly, Walt and and Jim and Van and Dick Nunes and these other people created opportunities that are timeless and values that are timeless, whether you're a hospital, whether you're a small mom-and-pop organization. Uh, it doesn't really matter how big... Uh, an organization is these success stories from Disney can be applied anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I take great honor and joy in presenting from the United States to South America, to Canada, to Europe, to the Middle East, to Asia, and organizations around the world have benefited from Vans and Waltz lessons. Okay. And I can see going to major corporations and them wanting to reach out to you and learn about how this works. But what about for smaller companies? You said even mom and pop shops can benefit from this. But what do you say to ones that say, but we're just little, we don't have the resources to do this? Great question. And and I'll, I'll respond with a quote that Van France shared and I I write about in Disney U and he talked about Walt would regularly walk through the park looking for problems or things to improve. This is Van Francis' quote and Van would continue saying, I copied his routine. I continually walked through the park looking for different things, people problems. Facts are easy to identify. I was looking for feelings that were bothering cast members. So whether it's Van France or Walt Disney walking through the park and picking up trash, I challenge small business owners and executives around the world to quote-unquote walk the park. If Walt Disney could do it, if Van France could do it, if Jim Cora could do it, if Dick Nunes could do it, why can't you? What's your excuse? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I suspect that Probably at first, a lot of small business owners and uh, kind of startups and things may not admit it in these particular terms. But speaking as someone whose wife owns her own business and as one who is kind of in the process of doing the same thing myself, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that the answer is fear. Yeah, it's fear, it's arrogance, it's ego. And, and oftentimes, Randy, it, 
training executives will say, well, you know, at the Disney University, you guys haven't made, if we had the budget or the staff, or if we had Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck leading cheers in front of our new hires, everybody would love to come to training. And I'd say, yeah, you're right. But bottom line is what we trained at the Disney University came to life at the front lines. And so even though we would talk about teamwork and collaboration and everybody picks up trash and cleanliness and friendliness in the Disney University, at the end of a training day when we would take our new hires into the park and they would see non-custodial cast members, executives, any number of people, obviously not custodians, bending over and picking up trash, then the message is cemented in their head. And that's the challenge that I laid down for teams around the world is what are the messages that you're sending your employees through your actions and your words and are they truly saying the same thing because all too often randy i see the equivalent of companies spending tons of money putting up these great posters that say our employees are our number one resource but then they treat their employees with disrespect or our customers are a number one whatever and they treat their customers with disrespect so words are cheap uh actions are are golden right right and you have to be willing to face whatever answer you're going to get whatever the reality is when you start looking for those things right and then be willing to address them. It's a lot easier to put up the posters and pretend that things are the way that you want them to be instead of walking the park and seeing them how they really are and then committing the resources or making the hard choices or whatever may be necessary to fix those things. Right, and and getting back to your earlier question about for those mom-and-pop organizations, a, a favorite quote that I have from Van France that challenges any organization is the following. And and Van would say, money might be tight, but creativity is always free. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that cool? That is cool. Who cares what your headcount or your budget is? Creativity is always free. Mm -hmm. And you wrote about this in a relatively recent blog post, if I remember right. I wrote about it in a number of blogs, and I wrote about it in Disney U, and it's something that that I challenge leaders around the world with is who cares what your budget is? How how much are you thinking outside of the box? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Disney U as well, the book itself. How did you get to the point of deciding that now is the time to write this book? Well, that's a tough question because so many people talk about Disney University and as you know and your listeners know about the Disney Institute, which is the public version of the Disney University. And many people talk about how great the Institute is and how great the university is, but very few people really have heard about Van France. And I thought, you know what, it's time for him to get his moment and for us to learn the lessons that Van shared with so many people. And so that's kind of the essence of why I decided to write this book. Okay. And as I was researching about it, it seems like of all the ones you've written, this is probably the one that would be the most valuable to listeners of this show. Is that correct? Well, there's no question. It it encompasses all of the things that I've learned in the last 25 years of writing books. It was the most challenging book that I've ever written. 
because I wanted to do it right. And quite frankly, after every interview of executives that had worked for Disney for decades, who knew Walt, who knew Van, in various forms, at the end of an interview, it was it was so amazing, Randy, whether it was a face-to-face interview or over the phone, they would reach out and touch my arm or they would you know, kind of reach for the telephone and say, Doug, just do me a favor. And I'd say, what is that? Just do a good job. <laughs> so there was tremendous pressure to make sure that my quotes were accurate, my references were accurate, because as you know, as well as anyone, is that there are so many fans of Disney out there who are going to look for both your accuracy and your inaccuracy. And I wanted to make sure that I was spot on and also that I wrote a book that was true to what Van would write. And to be honest with you, it's received great accolades in the in the business world. It's reached number one on Amazon.com. But the most important uh, accolades that I've received are both from Jim Cora, the retired chairman of Disneyland International, and Tom Eastman, the retired director of Disney University. And both of them said, in essence, I felt like I just walked the park with Van because you captured his essence. And that meant more to me than any number of sales of the book. Oh, yeah, that's an incredibly high compliment. Absolutely. Wow. Now, as we've talked about the book and about what you uh, share in your presentations and workshops and things with businesses, uh, I can imagine somebody listening who's thinking, you know, the, the book sounds interesting, but I'm not a leader. I'm not a corporate executive. I don't own a business. It really can't help me. What would you say to that person? Well, that's a it's a really good question, and I deal with that on a on a regular basis in my business. And every one of us are leaders, whether we are leading a team of of ten thousand or ten, or if we're an individual contributor. And what I chose to do in my creation of this book was to yes, focus on the values that Walt Disney and Van and all these other great Disney legends brought to the to the world, but also at the conclusion of every chapter, which I call lessons, of course, as a trainer, I call them lessons, was <laughs> to, to give a, a kind of a review of that lesson, but also to challenge the reader with opportunities for improvement, whether it's of self or of organization. And so, again, the reader can choose to look at how he or she wants to improve Uh, an entire department or company or how they want to improve their own approach to their own customer base. And if they're an individual contributor, there are plenty of opportunities in Disney U, the book, to to challenge oneself. Good. I had a suspicion that something like that was going to be your answer, and I'm glad it was because I think a lot of times people who aren't in positional leadership – tend to, maybe it's unfair to say a lot of people, but some people uh, tend to want to abdicate responsibility and say, well, I'm not the one in charge, so I'm just going to do what I'm told. And if it's not the way that I want it to be, it's easier to complain about it than it is to do it better myself or to find some creative approach or something that maybe can help improve it overall. 
I agree. In fact, avoiding that position of being the victim is is crucial, and that's one of the things that that I learned from Van and from from Jim, and that gets back to that concept of budgets might be tight, but creativity is free, as we can always focus on the negative, whether we're in a large corporation or in a two-person boutique uh, restaurant or, or clothing store, is we can look at the negative or we can choose to look at the positive. And that's what I learned from Van and from Jim was, yeah, those might be the constraints, but within those constraints, what can we do? And let's break new territory. Right. And that's what Disney challenges the readers to do. And it sounds to me, based on the way you were saying that, that even outside of company or workplace environments, someone could bring that same thinking and that same approach to life to, say, their family. Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, one of the other the other quotes from Van is, if we can't have fun, how can we expect our guests to have fun? And so really it's looking in the mirror and deciding you know, this is the culture that I want to create for my organization, whether it's two people or 2,000 people or 20,000 people. And, you know, just last week I was in an airport in Newark, New Jersey, and I saw the chairman of United Airlines walking through the, uh, the airport, and he was getting on a flight on a regular airplane, not a private jet. And so I walked up to him, and I said, hey, I want to applaud you for, for essentially walking the park like Walt Disney always did. And you're seeing the long lines. You're seeing the challenges of the rest of us normal people who are flying on airplanes that are frequently delayed and challenged. And that's the issue is that whether you're a CEO of a corporation or the owner of a small business or the parent of three children is how much are you connecting with uh, with the challenges that everybody else faces. And that's what Walt Disney was all about, was, again, walking the park and connecting both with guests and cast members. Right. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you put yourself in their shoes for a while. Exactly. And encounter and experience the same things that they are. So we've talked a lot, and you've shared several different lessons and ideas and values that uh, you learned from Van France and from Jim Cora and uh, via them from Walt Disney. But if you could pin down maybe one or two of the most important things, and I suspect walking the park might fit in here somewhere, uh, one or two of the most important things that you learned. You know, if someone listening to this wanted to take this piece and go be a better leader or a better team member? What would that be? Really good question, and I I have to refer back to a quote from Jim Corr, because again, Jim was asked by Walt Disney to help start the university as an operations guy, and Van France knew the value of having operations people so that what was trained in the university was applicable and respected, because Van was saying, you know, the, the name Disney University sounds really cool, but will it be respected? And so Van endeavored to have cast members as part of his training team. So here you have a Jim Cora guy who is mid-20s, asked by Walt Disney to help start the university. And in 43 years, Jim constantly straddled the challenges of operational excellence and training. 
So here is what I would challenge your listeners to consider is all too often when budgets get tight, training gets cut. And I'm the first one to say that if training is not applicable, cut it. But one of the things that I asked Jim, and I just saw him a few weeks ago and we chatted and we, we had this great presentation at the museum. I said, Jim, when did you ever cut training? And he said, I never cut training if it positively affected show. And then he followed on with this great quote. And here, here's a quote from Jim Cora. He said, marketing is the time and money you spend to get people in the door. And those people are guests as well as employees. And then he went on to say, training is the investment you make to guests to get them to come back and to cast members to get them to come back. And that is really the key, Randy, is that all too often I see organizations focusing all their time, energy, and money on marketing, getting employees and customers in the door, but they cut corners on training, which is what I believe and Jim Corder believes is the essence to get guests and cast members to stay. That's good. That's really good. I think that you and he are absolutely right. Uh, and so it's an important and valuable reminder. So thank you for that, Doug. You bet. So I want to ask you one more question about your time at Disney and then a few to wrap up there a little bit more uh, kind of broad. Uh, in all your time working for the Walt Disney Company, what did you love most about what you did? I loved walking across the park, whether it was at Disneyland or Walt Disney World or Tokyo Disneyland, and seeing guests having a great day. Because... I might have just come into or left a challenging meeting, but when I got to see guests of every age having a good time, it brought me back to what it was all about. And I would wish that for anybody, to see your customers, your clients, your patients actually enjoying your product or your service. Find what's going well and enjoy it and remember this is why you do what you do. Exactly. Okay, that's that's great. If you could have any job working for the Walt Disney Company, doing anything, any part of the company, if the job doesn't currently exist, you can even invent it for the answer to this question. What would you do and why would you want to have that as the one thing you did? I would go back into the either the Disney University or the Disney Institute and make sure that they are teaching the values of Walt and Van and the other Disney legends because those values are timeless and those values will, will ensure both cast members have a great experience, guests have a great experience, and of course shareholders get a good return on their investment. <laughs> also important. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a challenge for any organization is as Marty Sklar said, Walt Disney had one foot in the past and one foot in the future. And I think that any organization in this day and age of, of challenges and instant return on investment can sometimes lose sight of the fact that, you know, those original values are timeless and should never be forgotten. And I think through the Disney University or the Disney Institute, those kinds of values could be reinforced even to this day. Right. 
Disney University slash Disney Institute quality control, if you will. Exactly. Yeah, and like you talked about with the importance of training, if that slips, then there's a ripple effect that goes through everything else an organization does. Yeah, yeah. And it's so easy to, to focus on what you can cut. And again, I'm not a proponent of fancy, sexy, high-tech training programs if they don't reflect the reality of the front lines because training can, can occur in five-minute bursts in team meetings or in pre-shift huddles or post-shift huddles. So again, I don't drink the Kool-Aid and say you've got to have this wonderful Disney Institute or Disney University environment to create that kind of uh, loyalty. But all too often, organizations forget that training doesn't have to occur in the training room. Why can't every supervisor, why can't every shift leader be a proponent of the culture and the values, much like Van France was saying, again, it's budgets are going to be tight, but darn it, creativity is always free. <laughs> right. And Van would probably not say darn it, but I'll just say <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of the podcast, exactly, we'll go with that. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, Doug, what is one question that you never get asked that you wish people would ask you? Wow, that's a tough question. So why did you even ask me that? (laughs) (laughs) What do you wish for your kids? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And what I wish for my kids is that they have the opportunity, like I did, to follow their dreams and to come into contact with truly honest and influential mentors like I came into contact with to guide them in their careers. I mean, my wife and I, Pam and I, have done our job, but I just wish for my kids that they have the same kind of honest and uh, sometimes gut-wrenching discussions with with mentors that I had in my career at Disney. That's really good. I think that most parents, a lot of parents, either would wish that for their own kids or maybe they hadn't really thought about it that way, but hearing you say that, I think that's going to, that could resonate with a lot of people, the, the understanding the value of that right, and right. wanting that for them. Yep. Is there something that as a parent someone could do to help enable or facilitate that, or does it just kind of have to happen on its own? You know, I think that the values that Walt and Van espoused are equally uh, applicable in any family environment. And there's a, a great quote from Van that says, you know, it takes a happy crew to produce a happy show. So even if a movie set has all the bells and whistles that they want, whether it's CGI or whatever the case might be, if the crew isn't happy, it's going to be reflected in what the audience sees in the theater. And so I think for any family environment, it's the same thing. Is regardless of your of your socioeconomic status you can create happiness and uh, your kids will benefit from that. Absolutely. I agree, Doug. So now let me ask a very broad question, uh, or at least potentially it's a very broad question. Mm -hmm. What inspires you? Freedom. Having creative freedom, do my own thing, and taking the risks that, that come with that. So starting my own business or writing my own books and taking the, the chance that 
critics will not like what you do or say. Uh, speaking in front of 7,000 people in a conference in Las Vegas and realizing that you have 45 minutes to hit the mark, and if you don't hit it, you fail. <laughs> having the confidence that you're going to hit it and living and dying by the sword. So that's what inspires me and not following the path that others have created, but creating your own path. And again, I have to tip my hat to Van and to other legends that I got to work with at Disney that were saying, you know what, you've got to go out and do your own thing. And that's probably one of the reasons why I did leave Disney was that I had such inspiring mentors that made me realize you've got to go out and try something on your own and be willing to suffer the consequences or enjoy the consequences. That is so valuable and so difficult, especially at first. But I don't know that it necessarily really gets any easier to do that. I think maybe you just learn, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I've been a speaker for a long time and I still get nervous before I go on stage or you know, I'm getting ready to give a presentation. But I don't try to not be nervous now. I just accept that's part of it and continue on. Right. I mean, that's a really good point. In fact, I had a public presentation class and, and my debate coach said, you're always going to get butterflies. If you don't get butterflies, then you don't care. And the objective is not to suppress those butterflies, but make sure they're all flying in the same direction. <laughs> which really connected. I mean, it resonated with me. It's like, yeah, I can't avoid the butterflies, but by golly, I'm going to make sure that I'm prepared and that I present the best possible product to my guests or my customers. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, even though you're the one providing the product or the service, it's not about you, it's about them. Exactly. Yeah, and that's part of what Disney is all about, especially when it's at its best. And to always keep plussing the show, as Walt would say, and, and as a professional speaker consultant, I'm always trying to channel those concepts of with every new presentation I give, how do I bring that added benefit to my audience, whether it's an audience of 13 executives in a retreat or thousands of employees or people in a public seminar? How do I bring that added dimension to them? And I think that any of your listeners could consider that regardless of their businesses. What is the added dimension that I bring, whether it's in parenting or in leadership? Right, right. Um, and that actually leads very nicely into this second to last question. There are people listening who are very excited about this and they're uh, you know, they kind of see how they can take charge of what they have control over and what they have responsibility for and take it to the next level, plus the show, look for things that can be improved and all of those kinds of things. But I'm equally sure that there's somebody listening who has their own dreams, or at least they did at one time. And maybe it was to work for Disney, maybe to be a paid speaker, maybe it was something else entirely. But there's something that was really important to them that they dreamed about at one time and they've forgotten it or they've just kind of shoved it down and uh, just kind of relegated it to if only and what if land. What would you tell that person? What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> That's it. You know, if you don't follow your dream, you're going to regret it. 
if you do follow your dream, and if you fail, well, what does failure look like, and who cares? Right. Right. All too often, we let our egos get in the way, or we let economics get in the way. In fact, when I started my own company, Pam and I had this great discussion of what's the worst that can happen. I had three kids. They were all under the age of like four. And I had three baby seats in the back of my car. And all of a sudden, I wanted to start my own company. What's the worst that can happen? Well, we can live in an apartment. We can live in a trailer. We can live in a tent. Big deal. At the end of all this, we've pursued our dream. And to have the guts and the conviction to go after that, as opposed to 20 or 30 or 50 years later saying, oh my gosh, I should have done this or I could have done this. So I challenge executives all the time, and I do a lot of retreats with executives who are paid tremendous amounts of money but are not happy because they haven't followed their dreams or their convictions. So it's not about money. It's about what are your values and are you going after those? Right, because if you're not, then either something important that needs to be brought to the world isn't going to happen, or somebody else is going to do it, and you'll watch them and wish that it had been you. And being willing to take a risk. And I'll give you an example in, in closing. When, when Jim Corr and I were talking at the Walt Disney Family Museum just a few weeks ago, he talked about both the challenges and joys of working with Walt Disney and Rhett Law and starting the Enchanted Tiki Room, which celebrated its 50th anniversary this year. And he said, you know, we got all these audio animatronic birds and everything was all set up. And Walt came in and said, well, what do you think of this room? What do you think of this environment? And and Jim took a risk and said, well, you know, it's it's pretty cool, but the floor is pristine. It's clean. And in reality, if you have all these birds, wouldn't there be poop on the floor? (laughs) (laughs) And ultimately, they had the Imagineers come in and paint spots on the ground that look like bird poop. So here's, you know, Jim Cora as a, you know, late 20-year-old or mid-20-year-old taking a risk and saying what was on his mind. And ultimately, it changed an attraction that many of us have enjoyed and made it better. So, not being risk averse is also part of the equation. And Jim was one of those guys who would say, you know, if if you've got a thought, spit it out. And if I disagree, I'll let you know, but don't hold on to it because then nobody benefits. Right. That's good. That's really good. Okay. Um, final question here as we wrap up. And this is what we hear on the show called shameless plug time. So what would you like to mention or promote? You know, your book, how people can find you if they want to connect with you. Whatever you want, the floor is yours. I want to promote Disney U because I want people to read about Van's values. I want them to read about Walt's values. And quite frankly, this book, I've written eight books, and this is my eighth book. And this is the capstone of everything that I've learned in writing and in my career at Disney. And it is without a doubt a book that will benefit any organization, and quite frankly, my wife and I are donating proceeds from Disney U to charities for these book events that we do around the world, and one of the charities that we donate to is National Alliance on Mental Illness, and we're very passionate about uh, reducing the stigma associated with mental illness around the world, and so Disney U is a great read. Unabashedly, I have to say it's a great read because my my literary agent helped me 
find my voice and make it fun and engaging, much like Van would say. We can learn and we can have fun at the same time. In fact, one of Walt Disney's great quotes is, um, when the subject permits, we let fly with all the satire and gags at our command. Laughter is no enemy to learning. So I wanted to make Disney U both a fun and educational read that any Disney fan will enjoy just from a historical perspective and in, any business person will understand and, and appreciate from the perspective of how to build their business relative to their competition. And that book can be found on Amazon? Amazon. It's hardback. It's also in Kindle, Barnes & Noble. It's all over the world. It's, <laughs> it's doing very well. And I also encourage your readers to uh, ask me questions about it, whether it's through your website or your connections. I engage people all the time who read a chapter and say, this is what I learned or this is what my team is challenged with. How do we apply this in our own business? Fantastic. Yeah, I will be happy to link to the book in the show notes so people can have easy access to it. And uh, if they want to contact you directly, I'm also going to put the link to your website up there. I do suggest that people also follow your blog. I think that it's really good. And I know it's content, it seems like a lot of it from the book, which is a great way to kind of give people a little bit of a preview and a taste, and then they can jump into the book itself, uh, which I also highly recommend that they do. And then if they have any questions, they can contact you directly or you know, leave a comment on the show notes, call in feedback yep. questions, whatever, and I'll pass those on. Who knows if we get a few of them, maybe we can do a follow-up show and address questions that people have. That sounds great to me, Randy. Thanks for the opportunity. Wonderful. It's my pleasure. Doug, thank you very much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed it, learned a lot, and I'm, just, I'm really excited we had a chance to have this conversation. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Have you ever wanted to share something with someone just because? Well, we do a lot. So we started a podcast about, well, whatever we want. My name is Joyce. And I'm her lovely husband, Al. Uh, well, you know what I mean. And we're the hosts of the Disneyland podcast, Tales from the Mouse House. And the Amazing Race podcast, Fast Forward. And I'm one of the co-hosts of the MASH 4077th podcast. And you'd think with all of these podcasts, we'd run out of things to share. But then you'd be wrong. In our new show, Just Because... We're going to share all the things that, well, just don't fit into any of our other podcasts. Yep, like videos of our puppy Kate as she plays with the water bottle. Mm -hmm. Maybe some episodes chatting about one of our favorite TV shows. Like Lost? Uh-huh. Or maybe an audio play Al has written. And we'll even have episodes contributed by others who have something to share but just don't want to start their own podcast. You never know what you'll find on this show. Why? Just because. Visit us at justbecausepodcast.com and in iTunes. Just because. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Doug Lip for being my guest and to you for listening. And an extra thank you to Russell Flores, author of the fantastic book Seen Unseen Disneyland, for suggesting Doug as a guest to me. If you're a fan of Disneyland, especially its history, you're definitely going to want to be here for the next episode as we begin a conversation with Sam Genoway, author of two fantastic Disney-related books. 
This one will mark the first show where my guest has never actually worked for Disney, but is or has done something with their passion for Disney to share with others. In this case, writing books. I'm excited as we expand the format and scope of Stories of the Magic. I do still want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney, though, as well. So if you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity, and you'd like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let's talk. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or had any special Disney experience you want to share or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney has done, I'd love to hear from you, too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. The next episode is episode 50, and I'd still like to try to make that show extra special by having a few stories called or emailed in from you. So if you've got anything to share, that would be awesome. Now, before the usual wrap-up, the news I mentioned before the interview about Faith in the Magic Kingdom. If you've been listening for a while, you know I was working on that book throughout 2013 and released it in mid-November. Well, there was one piece I still wanted done, and it's almost there. The audiobook has been completed and will be submitted to Audible for approval in the next few days. And in fact, after that, it'll be available soon. So I'm thinking on episode 50, I'm hoping to announce that it's ready, and maybe even have a giveaway for a copy or two of it. Stay tuned for details. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, speaking of staying tuned. The Xbox Music Store, on the website... Or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. The more reviews and ratings the show has, the better it shows up in lists and searches so it's easier for people to find. And it's been a little while since I've had a review, so please go in there, especially if you like it, and leave a review. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic, too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com. Or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode, and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.